0: My approach to getting you more sleep is simple, straightforward, but above all, it's got to make sense and feel best for you. Ready to get more sleep? Then let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Carrot Out Sleep Show. You are listening to your host Kerry Spector, and I'm an infant sleep consultant, founder of my unique sleep approach, and I am on a serious mission to get you and your small settle night sleep without tears or training. Today on the Sleep show, I am joined by Anya Homer from the Baby Reflux Lady and she is bringing clarity to the confusion around reflux. And I'm really looking for I've spoken to her before and I'm really looking forward to speaking to
1: her again. Hi Anya, how are you? Hi Carrie, I'm great and thank you for having me
0: on the show. No worries. I we've spoken before, we've known each we must have known each other quite a long time now. I think it's coming up three or four years. I don't know where the time goes to, but yes. Um We've known each other quite a while we did back when I was on uk health Radio, I think we did a show
1: yeah we did and it was it's I've had it on my website. people are still constantly clicking to it.
0: It's amazing yeah because you don't need me to tell you that reflux absolutely sucks um and so I definitely on my practice I say it all the time parents have got so many questions and so many things that they want to talk about with reflux so I really do think it would be helpful for uh, the listeners today. Yeah, hopefully it will. Cool. Well, let's start right at the beginning, Anya. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the baby reflux lady, who she is, what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so I, I'll do it quite quickly because I have, as most people, we all have very long stories we can get into. But seven years ago, with the birth of my first child, life changed ir- unrecognizably. And I know that happens for all parents. But when your baby screams all day, all night can't be put down life changes far beyond what you ever think it could have done Mm. it turns out that after five and a half months of screaming with no diagnosis other than your baby's got colic which didn't go away after 12 weeks um i found out that she had silent reflux now silent reflux is when Baby has the reflux or the regurgitation from the stomach into the esophagus, but it doesn't come up to the mouth as vomit. So that's the difference for anybody who is curious about the difference between reflux and silent reflux. A silent reflux doesn't have the vomiting, and that's the only difference between them. But fast forward another few months and still struggling every night. My daughter was nine months when we discovered she had milk protein allergy. and. She had a number of other intolerances to so many different foods. It took me all of my strength. I was well in the depths of postnatal depression at this stage. But my background was um, project management and engineering and problem fixing. I was sort of an expert problem fixer. And an expert with data. Like if somebody put me in front of an Excel spreadsheet with thousands of lines, like the more (laughs) lines, the better. It was my happy place. I'm only laughing because I'm really, really bad at Excel. (laughs) Oh no, it was my happy place. (laughs) And so nobody was able to answer the question I, I asked, which was why has my baby got reflux? Why is she so upset? Why is she crying all the time? All I got was that reflux is normal, that babies cry and you need to get used to it. In my heart, I knew there had to be a reason for it. I knew there was a reason that she wasn't as happy as my peers' kids. (coughs) So I started to gather data and I recorded everything for about three months. And through that, I discovered foods that were irritating her through my diet because I was still breastfeeding, foods that she couldn't have directly, like apples, which caused a massive problem for her. And eventually, by the time she was about 12, 13 months, we got to a really, really happy, better place. And then a year later, my second daughter was born. I already was on what I thought was my new breastfeeding diet, clean, healthy diet. But yeah, she still got reflux. <laughs> I was wondering what's going on here. It turns out she had a tongue tie causing hers. And when we resolved that, life changed so incredibly in an instant. So Being an engineer, I wasn't happy enough to know, right, I've got my kids in better places and the reflux is gone. I sort of needed to know why. Mm -hmm. And began years of research and the the evidence I came across, like from the World Health Organization and journals that have been published, etc., over the years, and I just started to put this picture together that formed that made so much sense. And I started supporting friends and their kids. And eventually was a sleep consultant who I worked with like six years ago. Looked at me one day, she's like, you need to write a book. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, you know so much about this. You need to write a book. And so I did. And it was actually after three years postnatal depression, the decision to write a book, to share the knowledge I had with the goal of saving other moms feeling the way I felt for three years. That was how I really escaped my postnatal depression was to know that my three years of hell wasn't for nothing, that I was going to help people. And so I wrote and published the Baby Reflux Lady Survival Guide, you know, the book I'm getting, I still get emails from complete strangers saying you've changed my life with the knowledge in the book. And that is just so, so important to me. And it's, it's what I set out to do with it. It's a great
0: story. great story i mean that's not the first time i've heard it and it never gets old on you. i love hearing it and actually it's got some similarities it really resonates with me because i was um it was my own children um because i'm very honest i don't have my own kids but um when i started learning about sleep, i was trained to do the old control crying crying out and it just didn't make any sense to me and instinctively just how i think instincts are so important aren't they on you you instinctively knew that there must be a reason why it was a symptom um and that's exactly how i came about to carry it out so I, it, that story really resonates with me i think it's really nice and i think instincts a lot we there's so much noise out there i think in the parenting Parenting forum that sometimes it's with so much noise, it's hard to listen to our instincts. But I do believe there's nothing like a parenting instinct, there's something not quite right there. It's very
1: like it doesn't feel right, it's probably worth exploring. Uh, You're 100% right, Kerry. And I, you know, our culture and our society, we tend to look to other people for answers. And the truth is, as a mum, you already have all the answers. And you know what questions to ask. And each and every mom out there, and this isn't just my clients, but say it to all my clients. As a mom, you are the expert in your child. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, Kerry, have loads of knowledge about sleep. I've got loads of knowledge about reflux. But I think you and I are the same. We work with our clients. We don't prescribe a system or a solution or you need to do this, this, this. It all depends on each individual child and what works for the family. Yeah. hundred percent. I always say that I'm not an expert. You are. Exactly the same. And so when we work together with parents, you, we get such, such amazing results, but I always, always tell a mom, if you think your baby is more unsettled than they should be, they are more unsettled than they should be. Yeah. Me too. And, and it's going to be different for every family You know, every mother's perception of what's unsettled with their child is going to be different. And it really, it really irritates me when I hear people saying, oh, so-and-so's baby. They say they're unsettled, but I've seen them. They're not that unsettled at all. I've had an unsettled baby. This isn't a competition. Mm -hmm. This is everybody's unique individual experience is completely correct for them And, you know, my, my training in traditional Chinese medicine is all about how our own observations are the most important tool for diagnostics and to understand exactly what's going on. So I get moms saying, Oh, I don't know. I I thought this happened. And I thought that happened. It's like, stop saying you don't know. Just tell me that this happened. And then that happened. And then something else happened Mm -hmm. because what you observe is absolutely correct.
0: Yeah, I really like that, and it is natural, I think, to kind of doubt yourself and compare. Like people do compare. It's a safety thing, I think, sometimes. Um, but I say very similar. Like it's all relative. It's your experience. It's relative to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Every uh, time.
0: Every single time. So yeah, I'm really loving the new tagline as well, Anya. Bringing the confusion um, around. Uh, no, bringing clarity. You're not bringing confusion. You're bringing clarity um the confusion around people. I think that really resonates as well because there is so much confusion out there um, I think we live in an age where there is so much content so much out there um, and that can, it can get a little bit noisy and it can just be a little bit confusing so I think that's amazing um, I'm loving that new tagline thank you so let's start right at the beginning. Um, we know reflux. That's what are the symptoms of silent
1: reflux? <laughs> it's almost like how long is a piece of string? So <laughs> some I look at over 80 different symptoms and behaviours. Whoa. Every client to understand what's going on. However, every child who has reflux or silent reflux or colic, and I don't really distinguish between them. We can come on to that in a few moments they're unsettled they're unhappy and the parents know that their baby's trying to tell them that something's not quite right Mm -hmm. so very often they will cry a lot they may throw up or do lots of positing or bringing food up equally they may not you may never see it typically their sleep is nowhere near anything like it should be so Even with really young babies, we know they don't sleep for five or six or eight hours on end. But if they're waking like every half an hour or 45 minutes, if they can't tie those early sleep cycles together at all, there is something, some discomfort in their body typically waking them up. Uh Um, What have we got? Very often we'll have babies with feeding difficulties and this is not feeding difficulties as diagnosed by a professional. This is mom saying it's difficult to feed my baby you know, babies who are constantly thrashing around. Everything goes with, you know, our baby is telling us everything and it's our job to play a little bit of the Sherlock Holmes game with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if your baby, and I t- generally say to parents, if your baby is more unsettled than they should be, there is something we can do about it. Lots of babies with reflux will also suffer with lower abdominal bloating Loads of, loads of gas. Like they will fart like mm. a. <laughs> I hope I'm allowed to say those words. On the podcast. You can definitely say fart. It's a great word. It makes
0: everybody laugh. It does. I love that. And that's just my humour. Yeah. Humor. <laughs> a book.
1: But you'll get little babies who do daddy farts. Yeah. They do man farts. And you're kind of going, where does that come from? And when they do when they pass this gas, they just get such a relief from it. Like if there's obvious relief from passing gas, the gas is causing discomfort. It's it's unnatural for babies to have huge amounts of gas. Mm -hmm. Um especially if it's causing any irritation and pain. If baby is vomiting a lot, um, you know, there's a myth that baby needs to be losing weight to have reflux. Babies can gain weight excessively, gain weight perfectly, or gain weight slowly, or indeed lose weight with reflux, depending on their personality. Mm -hmm. Um, They might overfeed, they might underfeed, they might feed frequently and just want to feed all the time. I mean that's actually a a sign for a lot of parents is that something's not right. That baby just wants to feed constantly. And this is not because of hunger. This is because baby instinctively knows that when they swallow first of all they wash any irritation back down from their esophagus back down into the stomach mm-hmm. but equally they know that when they suckle they stimulate the peristaltic movement in their entire digestive system so if they have constipation or if they have uh, wind in their gut it helps to move that through as well yeah so we see babies doing all the feeding cues and wanting to feed and getting feeding but actually, not needing it from a hunger perspective. Makes sense.
0: And coming back to when you said that they were, um, one of the symptoms was fussy with their feed. Does that go for breast, both breast and bottle feeding?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. This is not just. I mean, there, there are so there's a myth there that breastfed babies don't get reflux, um, and that is a myth.
0: Definitely don't say that in my
1: practice. Yeah, reflux happens equally whether baby is breastfed or bottle fed. It is, it is not directly linked to how a baby is fed. It can be caused. So reflux can be, for example, caused by any allergies or food intolerances, and that could be anything in any other formulas. Yeah, the formulas have ingredients babies just simply can't digest, or it could be something that mum has eaten. Yeah, at a molecular level is still too complex for baby's body to digest.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that makes sense.
0: It, wasn't just, it was just when you said that when they're feeding, they're flailing around, they're, they're having difficulty feeding, they can't concentrate on the feed. I just wondered whether that was presented the same for both breast and bottle feeding.
1: But yeah, I think it, it does. It can happen. And we see, I see a lot of babies um, who, are, who are bottle fed who literally can't latch onto the bottle properly or every time they go to, they desperately want to feed and then they're throwing their head away. You know, and it's it's a battle for parents to try, and literally they, they explain it, they're trying to get milk into their babies. And that's a real key sign that there is something serious up that we can do something about. You know, we don't need to fight with a child to get them to take their milk. If they don't want to take their milk for any particular reason, it's our job to find out why are they so uncomfortable and what can we do about it
0: yeah that makes total sense you were you mentioned before talking about reflux and not reflux reflux and colic, uh, reflex, reflex and colic. Um, did you want to come back and explore that a little bit
1: yeah yeah so for me colic in the uk europe but also it, the, the phrase purple crying is similar in the states These are phrases that almost allow us to get away with just leaving a baby crying. You know, apparently colic is normal, it's unexplained crying. The truth is when we pay attention to a baby with colic, it's not unexplained. An example would be that 97% of babies that I have met with a colic diagnosis instantly relax the moment they, they fart. They literally go from really tense, screaming animals to massive man farts. And then they go limp, relaxed, and oh, happy. Yeah. The cycle starts again. This is because they got trapped wind in their tummies. Mm-hmm. And wind is there because of the natural immaturity of their digestive system, not being able to break down the foods or some of the elements of the foods that they're eating, generally. Mm-hmm. Now, it can be wind that has got into their, their gut, for example, through crying, if they're literally inhaling wind and drinking air into their stomach, if it's not coming up as a burp, it has to get out of their body somehow Mm -hmm. and it goes down through their tummies. And they don't, babies don't have the muscular strength to move around, to put so much pressure on their intestines that actually helps externally move air through the gut. Yeah. And that's why it sort of builds up and it gets trapped and it feels like they're bloated and their, their system is all stretched and it's really uncomfortable. It's and weird. Trap wind. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm saying this, it's really uncomfortable. Even in adults, it's, it's a exactly. And your baby is just screaming to tell you it hurts. The challenge with the screaming is that every time a baby cries, they go, wah! <gasps> yeah, taking more air. Another mouthful of air, which if they're not being winded, continues the cycle. Yeah. So there is... Um, You know, even for my own daughter, she was first described as colic, and when at three and a half months she still was no better, it was like, Oh, maybe she has reflux. Well actually no, it was five and a half months before she was given the reflux diagnosis. But that's what happens is it's colic, it's colic, it's colicky, she's colicky. Oh, maybe she's got reflux instead. And that happens a lot, is that one becomes the other.
0: Yeah. Everything is linked for a little one. everything. Absolutely. Diet, feeding. Yeah. behavior yeah. what's the other one kerry gosh i'm slow today sleep oh sleep so that's <laughs> funny. i forgot that one sleep feeding diet um, digestive system and then behavior going to the toilet
1: yeah i mean this is like i mean i look at the the person i had this great analogy from a lecture when i was studying my chinese medicine some years ago and they said look the human body is like a car you know we're complex systems of systems we've got electrical systems there's physical and mechanical systems the thing is, if your car doesn't start in the morning, if you put the key in the engine, you don't go and get a new key. You know, you go through the system and you you look at it going, well, is there fuel in the car? Is it an electrical fault? Is it too cold? And that's where we go with diagnosis of people as well, is we look at the whole person to understand exactly what's going on. I mean, reflux itself, or silent reflux, has over 20 different causes or contributory causes things that may have happened in baby's history that can be triggering reflux mm-hmm. and only by going through this suite of over 80 symptoms that i look at for every child can we then see well what's the underlying pattern for this baby mm-hmm. and then what is the right action to take for them it's the reason why there's no one size fits all it's like you know i visit facebook forums a lot and they'll be like oh try this or try that or go see this person this worked for me and then people come back and well, it didn't work, it didn't work. And the reason it's not working is because it's not addressing the underlying cause of their baby's reflux.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say, it sounds, it's very similar to sleep. There's sleep, if there's an onset of night, frequent wake ups, parent party, they're a symptom of something that's going on. I love that car analogy. And there isn't this one size fits all. So I get. So I guess it's the same with, with reflux. If you know that there's eighty, or there's eighty things that you look at, then there must be at least eighty solutions, and then there's not a one size fits all solution.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's now, thankfully, 90. it's not quite eighty different. It's not eighty solutions. Thankfully, um, but we need to look at everything comprehensively to see what the overall picture is. I mean, it's like it's like doing a jigsaw puzzle with the pieces up, turned upside down. Yeah. You know, and going, oh, well, these, these pieces go together. Whereas at least if you turn the picture up the right way and you've got the, the picture from the box, you can pick up a piece that might have pink on it and you go, okay, well, this particular symptom can go in either of those two places because we know from the picture on the box, this piece of the jigsaw can go there and there. Yeah. As you get more pieces of the jigsaw, you're able to say with certainty, going ah, that piece is in the bottom left-hand corner. Yeah. You know? Makes total sense. Yeah, I like my analogies. So I'm developing all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> li- I I appreciate your analogies on that because I myself like a really good analogy. I've actually got a couple of questions that some of my listen- the listeners sent in. Do you want me to go through them with you? Yeah, they'll be brilliant. Cool. So number one is, do you have any tips for winding a reflux baby?
1: Hmm. Or a, a baby have- with reflux? Yeah. And thank you, very good correction. I don't, um, it's actually real. I'll I'll just do a little bit. It's a very important reframe for parents. I don't call babies reflux babies because they're not identified by the reflux. They are babies who have reflux or babies with reflux. Yeah. So anybody listening to this, if you have got a baby with reflux, take a moment to separate them from the reflux. They are not their reflux. They are a baby. They're your baby and they have reflux. The have yeah. them, so it's a really important little little mindset tweaks like that can just serve so much um, in helping how we look at things.
0: Hundred a- percent. I don't know why I do. You know what? I sat there thinking. I don't say it that way around because I, I I've never said it that way around before. Just because I was really conscious of saying it, that's why I said it. As soon as I said it, I realised. Yeah, I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, but it is. It's good to highlight it to to everybody listening. Now I've just forgotten the question uh any tips for winding a baby with reflux yes so winding is so important if a baby is drinking air getting the air out of the stomach before it goes down into the intestines is a it's one of the best coping strategies we can possibly have now the first thing is that most parents have not been taught how to wind a baby it's assumed that you throw them on your shoulder and we don't know The most important thing I can say, and this was given to me by, uh, this tip was given to me by a maternity nurse friend, Mary Ashton, who is amazing. She goes, babies need to be virtually over your shoulder, almost as if they feel like they're falling the other side of you. So that the pointy bit of your shoulder goes in under their ribs. So you're putting pressure upwards on the stomach from below it to help push air upwards and out of the body. And then when you're patting babies on the back, it's not a gentle pat. It's a proper, like it's a, it's generally a bit stronger than we think it should be. Mm-hmm. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to vibrate the whole stomach to encourage air to come out from the milk that it might be, like it might be within the milk itself. You want to vibrate the stomach so that all of these air bubbles come back together, rise to the top of the stomach, and then can come out the mouth as well. Mm-hmm. Um, winding frequently. So if a baby is taking on air, wind frequently during a feed so that the the air is not contributing to the stretch that is in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And also if baby's particularly unhappy and they cry a lot, especially before a feed, wind them before a feed. And like in the early days, please don't stick to a routine of babies not getting their food until it's three hours. Don't stick to, it has to be three hours or it has to be four hours between a fee, feed. It's far easier for baby to have smaller free feeds more frequently than to have big feeds spread out during the day. Mm-hmm. This is all to do with the, the elasticity in baby's stomachs. When babies are born, the reason that they can only have three or four mils of colostrum in the first few days is because that's the size of their stomach. It's tiny mm-hmm. and it doesn't stretch in the early days the elasticity of it stretching comes over the following days, weeks and months. So being able to, for the stomach to contain the milk that's in it and do its churning action that it needs to do without, you know, pushing milk back up into the food pipe, having less in it is easier for baby's body to do, to, to contain the food in the stomach. If that makes sense. Yeah. Makes a sense. Makes yeah. Sense.
0: Like they were really, really helpful. Really, really helpful, and I completely agree with you. Lots of that. like it is. It's just a given that you know how to wind your baby, but um, it doesn't. It's not something you're always shown in hospital on how to do. It's yeah. a massive assumption. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, dummies, can a dummy help? So the question is, can
1: the use of a dummy help ease reflux? It can and it can't. Dummies are a bit of a try it and see. So dummies can be brilliant because what they do is they generate saliva and they encourage baby to suckle and to swallow. So by swallowing, they are washing back down any acid that's come into the food pipe. They're washing that back down to the stomach. So it reduces pain. Mm-hmm. And it also, when they suckle, they stimulate their whole digestive system. So if they've got constipation or if they've got any trapped wind, it can help move that. Yeah. What we need to do is conversely, every time a baby swallows a mouthful of saliva, they are typically swallowing air with that as well. Oh, so it's like a double-edged sword. It can be. And it, is, it varies from child to child. So I, what I say to parents is don't just plug a dummy in and leave it. Be really observant. If your baby needs it to help release wind at the bottom end or after a feed to help keep washing stuff down into the stomach, then allow them to have it. Mm-hmm. If they're really screaming for it, they're telling you they they needing the comfort for it. So it's a great it can be a great coping strategy. But equally, if you see that your baby is just chomping on it, if there's lots of air bubbles coming out around the dummy, then they are drinking air at the same time. So it may not be the best thing for them. And the challenge with reflux is it's cyclical. You know, once a baby gets into any state of pain, they start to cry. And with crying, they put more into their stomach, which can make reflux worse. Yeah. So we need to figure out where we break the cycle. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. But with dummies, it's about being really conscious about when baby's using it and why they're using it and what benefit it's, it's giving them. And as long as it's giving them benefit, continue to use it. Yeah, and if it isn't, if it's making things worse, and I did have a client a few, uh, two, year, two years ago, I think. And we were trying to figure out what was going on and she went out on Monday, she had an absolutely amazing night. She rang me on Tuesday going, that was brilliant yesterday. And I said, what was different? And I'd forgotten to ask the, does your baby use a dummy? Important question on the previous Friday, which is like, Oh, we went out cause I actually forgot the dummy. And I'm like, Oh, that's it. I said he hasn't been drinking air all day. So he had a great night and she's like, Oh, he's had the dummy all day today. <laughs> said, okay. You're going to have a crappy night tomorrow. We come back and literally that was, we had changed a load of things around food and stuff. And the dummy was the last thing we needed to do, mm-hmm. but it was a phenomenal change in a day just from conscious use of it. yeah that really
0: that makes total sense Absolutely total sense. so i guess it's like most things small related small baby toddler related it's a little bit of trial and error seeing yeah. what works for you and your little one and just giving like if they've got a d- would you introduce a dummy if they had reflux is that something you would
1: I don't typically introduce a dummy because I'm more about resolving the causes first. Yeah. If baby's in a particularly bad way, typically parents have tried dummies and part of it is he's not, he won't take it, but like he literally hates the dummy or they've already, you know, most parents will have tried a dummy at some stage um, and especially with reflux sooner rather than later. Yeah. And only in extreme cases would I recommend a baby have a dummy. And that's only when we can't resolve the underlying cause and it's, and it is providing good support. Yeah. But right. absolutely something parents can, can try and observe, you know, their baby is telling them everything they need to know mm-hmm. to us as parents and practitioners to pay attention to all the ways babies communicate it's not just crying they communicate with their body their their body communicates with behaviors and with symptoms you know and we parents tend to forget we all spoke baby once upon a time yeah we we did yeah we just (laughs) got to tune in and trust that we can decipher exactly what our baby's telling us yeah, that's really, that, that's
0: really, really useful. And then the last question I've been asked is, can teething have an impact on reflux? Oh, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have literally just recorded a module on this, a short module for my, um, my students who learn what, to do what I do. Teething can actually cause reflux. Because similar to a dummy, when a baby is teething, they are producing a shed load of saliva. Yeah, When they swallow that saliva, they're typically swallowing air as well, mm-hmm. putting air in their stomach. Air is stretching the stomach beyond capacity. It can cause reflux to happen. Now, it can make reflux worse than it ever was because when the stomach gets saliva into it, it immediately switches on its various receptors. It's like, oh, there's food on the way. And when it thinks there's food on the way, it produces stomach acid. Yeah. And if there's no food put in there to dilute the stomach acid, the stomach acid is then floating around on its own, possibly with a load of air and getting squeezed up into the esophagus, causing physical pain. And remember, like without any food in there to to dilute it, it's really, really acidic. Yeah. And then when it goes down into the gut, like the stomach continues to churn, it thinks there's food in there. It goes into the intestines. The intestines respond, like our body produces bile to a part of that, the function of bile is to neutralize the acids in stomach acid, but it doesn't overproduce bile in relation to an overproduction of stomach acid. Mm -hmm. So now the stomach acid can actually irritate the gut and the gut produces mucus. And very often then we'll see mucus in the poo. We'll get these really acidic smelling nappies with teething as well. And that's because just the higher levels of acid in the body. What you can do to support babies through this, and this is, I know you'll, you'll probably say, no, don't say this out loud. <laughs> almost to abandon a bit of routine around food. So mm-hmm. I allow babies to snack on things like, things like frozen long quarter slices of cucumber and let baby gnaw on that because there's lots of water in the cucumber. Um, You know, leave the skin on the cucumber because it holds bits of it together and big long slices of that baby can be chomping on it. And it breaks off really easily so there's no uh, risk of choking as well. But you're putting small amounts of food into the stomach with the stomach acid, which will just help neutralize it a little bit. Um, Yeah, so like almost gradually snacking over the week when teething is bad and then going back to routine. But also, and this is about all babies, is talk to baby about what's happening you know mm-hmm. by the way we're changing the routine this week and this is because you know you're getting this acid and it's hurting but we will come back to a proper routine next week yeah
0: it's funny that you said that you you don't want me, you don't want to hear it out loud but i my, one of my biggest mottos is that it's okay to roll with your routine but babies aren't linear their development their progress their health their sleep anything it's just not linear. So you go through periods where um that it is changing all the time and you need to do things a little di- bit differently so it's always okay i think that's a really important message out there it's always okay to roll with your routine whether that's food sleep what you're doing um i think that's really important
1: yeah yeah i mean i love your phrase that life isn't linear it's, it's so not yeah it's the opposite i can't think of what the opposite of linear is Oh. Non-linear. <laughs> <laughs> I could go into my maths and go, it's a poly it's a polyquadratic equation or something, but <laughs> you yeah, don't say that Anya. Let <laughs> Alone
0: remember it. But yeah, yeah, life isn't linear and especially that's like, never truer than with a baby.
1: Absolutely. Like, I, think it's
0: important. I think that's it. I'm done with my questions. I just had a couple that um that people had asked me to talk to you to, to ask you. So
1: coming back to, is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, the one thing I actually realized I didn't say about symptoms earlier on was that sometimes we see late onset reflux and this would be in babies who are already on solids. Maybe they've never had reflux before, or maybe they had reflux and it was under control. And then I I don't agree with ages for, for solids, but around six months, babies start with solids. And maybe suddenly their reflux either reappears or baby's sleep gets really restless at night and their sleep goes out the window. And typically a baby who was, and you might get this, Carrie, they're, they're almost running laps of their cot all night. Yeah. They can't seem to lie still. That in almost every child I've dealt with, with this, it's because the food they're eating is not suitable for their digest the development stage of their digestive system um one thing that we're told in our world at the moment is your baby once they can eat you can feed them from your plate yeah i don't agree with that i agree with all the principles of baby led weaning and let baby take their lead in how they eat or how much they eat it's our job to provide them with food that they can digest because their digestive system, they don't turn six months and suddenly they can go from thriving on a liquid-only diet to being able to eat and digest every single food on the planet. Yeah. In the same way that a baby doesn't come out of the womb and in, in three hours like a horse is up walking, they have a massive development curve to go through for walking and it's different for ev- at every stage of that. You know, Some babies will roll her over earlier than others. Some will only roll one way then they have to learn to push themselves up on their hands and figure out how to get up on their knees. And eventually they get up to standing and walking for some babies. That's nine months for others. That's 18 months. And that whole development curve in the range of it is completely normal. It is a very similar thing with the digestive system. And the biggest clue we have to the development stage of any baby's digestive system is their teeth. You know, the teeth is the beginning of the digestive system when a baby has all of their milk teeth that is their sign of maturity and until that point there are many foods that they may not be able to break down efficiently simply because their digestive enzymes are not being produced at that point in time and that is i mean that's a paper that was published by the world health organization back in the 90s but it seems to be completely ignored in every single thing we do about food and babies at the moment and i'm i'm it's the one thing that i'm so keen in. You, that this, my approach to solids for babies is all based on giving babies foods that nourish their body and that their body can digest and use.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. I think, and again, we have that expectation as well. I think sometimes that babies are just going to be born and that they're all exactly the same, that they're born with the same temperament, the same personality, that every baby we've got this every baby is going to do the same thing at the same time, reach those milestones at the same time, nap at the same time, go on to solids at the same time, go to bed at the same time, all of those things, but actually it
1: looks different for every baby. Exactly, in the same way that life looks different for every single one of us. Yeah, it certainly does, <laughs> it certainly yeah. does. So
0: that was really useful to go through the symptoms, go through those um, questions that come up time and time again, definitely in my practice that we've got the symptoms how can families, if they're listening if families are listening to this parents are listening to it and it resonates with them where they've got the symptoms where can they go for support for their baby with reflux
1: okay well i have so if anybody's wondering what those 80 symptoms are i have a free symptom tracker on my website and i think Kerry, you'll have the link below the, the podcast in the show notes but to start tracking all of the symptoms and I promise you with 80 behaviors and symptoms there are things that parents are seeing in their children that you're not linking to your child's reflux so we need to start there we you want to pick out the symptoms that are the most severe and the most frequent and we understand what they mean and I can't give you like this means that because there is a range of symptoms of What goes on, and I have so the book, The Baby Reflux Lady Survival Guide, that explains what all the symptoms mean. And equally, I have an e-course called Reflux Free Baby. Um, and the first one in that is a workshop, and I bring you through a workshop of how to put all of these symptoms into patterns, what the symptoms are trying to tell you, and based on the story that your baby has had to this point in their life what is the most likely action to take to resolve their reflux and yeah. what outcomes you can expect from that. So that's where to go. I mean, the, the symptoms tracker, as I said, is a free download. And then there's a course in the book that bring you through exactly what to do. Now, if baby is on solids already and solids have made things worse, then there's a reflux free baby food course, which is all about changing the foods for your baby with all, you know, I've got stuff in the e course about explaining why this is the way actually i have a free webinar on that as well explaining why babies digestive systems is immature and how our choice of food for them is so important but the course explains how to change the food but more importantly the process because there is no one food you know there's one, i don't have a list of foods that is safe for every single child
0: Yeah, makes sense.
1: Yeah, we all have the potential to be to have an allergy or an intolerance reaction to absolutely anything else on the planet. So the process that we go through to identify foods that are irritating for any child or not is more important. But I teach you that with a list of foods that are the most likely ones to be safe. And that's like a seven stage list of food that gradually build up to eating everything. Okay, that makes sense. So
0: if they're looking for a little bit of support with their babies with reflux, it's the free symptom tracker first. Yeah. Then the e-course or the book.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I'll put all those links for everybody in the show notes as well. Super. And i have them there. Anya, is there anything else you'd like to add? That time goes so quickly when we're chatting, but I know that loads of people listening are going to find that reassuring and really useful. Those tips about weaning, um, the not weaning, having a dummy and the winding. I mean, they're invaluable little things that people can go and put in place at home. Anything else that you would like to share?
1: No, just the only thing that I really want people to understand is that reflux is a symptom. You know, it, it's called a reflux disease, but actually it's a symptom each and every time. And I've worked with hundreds of patients, uh, hundreds of patients, I call the patients, hundreds of families over the last few years and in 95% of the cases, when we understand exactly what's going on and we take the right action, we're seeing life-changing results within days. You know, reflux can be resolved really quickly when we get the right action for the right child.
0: Yeah, that, and that makes sense to me that it is a symptom. So I thought you were going to say something else then, on your I was waiting for it. I realised. <laughs> but yeah, that I... Yeah, I think um, that's really, really important. That, that's what things have to make sense. To me and that's it makes sense things are a symptom. It's the yeah. same. Crying is always communication,
1: it's never manipulation, it's okay. something that's going on in yeah. the car. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your child has all the answers, you just have to listen to them.
0: Yep. They are the boss, the bed boss, as I like to say. <laughs> they or are the way. boss
1: for sure. Mine are five and seven and they're still the bosses. (laughs) I'm 40 and I'm still the boss of my parents.
0: (laughs) I can say that because I don't think they'll be listening. (laughs) I hope they won't be. Anya, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, I really hope you will come back and talk to us soon.
1: I will do. I'd love to, Kerry. And thank you very much for having me. No, thank you very much. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to me, your host, Kerry Secker, on The Carrot Out Sleep Show. I really hope you found the podcast reassuring, informative, and a little bit fun. If you did, please don't forget to subscribe to the show below. And I'd be so grateful if you could leave me some fabulous feedback. I always love hearing from you. And one lucky listener will win lifetime access to my Bedtime Basics e-course every single month. My next podcast episode will be out in two weeks' time. But if you can't wait for more of my sleep shizzle, you can find me over on Instagram at Carrot out Sleep Consultant. I update my sleep squares and speak sleep there on the daily. Big love and sleep solidarity to you all.